We are in a series called We Are, where we are looking at the family values of our church. So as a church, we exist to help people find home in Christ, to grow in a family of believers, and to help you live out your God-given purpose. All right, so what we've been doing is we've been looking at these family values, and each of these values falls into one of these mission statements. So this idea that we help people find home in Christ. Our first two family values is that we are true worshipers and we are inviting neighbors. All right, and then we are, we are people to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so we are growing disciples. And last week we talked about we are devoted family. All right, and so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to help you find your God-given purpose and to live that out to the fullest. And so this week, we are beginning to talk about what it means to be faithful stewards, faithful stewards. And so what I wanted to do was to give us just a working definition of stewardship to make sure that we are kind of coming at this from the same place. And so stewardship is the principle, is it all that you and I have has been given to us by God, but not all that has been given to us is meant for us. Okay, so everything we have, all of our time on earth, the talents that we have, right, the treasure, our resources, all that we have has been given to us by God, but God has given us more than we are supposed to keep for ourselves. And so not all that has been given to you is for you, right? That God gives us an abundance of gifts of his grace so that we can be a blessing to other people, right? That's the idea of stewardship. And here's what I recognize, right? Stewardship is not something that comes easy to us because in our flesh, we are naturally bent towards being selfish more than we are being good stewards. And let me just just give you a story that I think illustrates this about as good as anything else. I want you to flash back four years ago. Anybody remember what uh, what was happening four years ago? Right, we were just learning this word, COVID. I remember we, Lauren and I were actually on our way back from our five year anniversary trip coming back from Jamaica. When we left, Hadn't really heard about it. We came back, people coming from Europe, long, long line getting in, right? The, the world began to shift. The world began to change. And let me tell you, one of the things that let me know that it was not going to go well in this whole pandemic was how people acted over toilet paper. Y'all remember this? Right? Like, I, listen, I, to this day, I don't understand what was, what was toilet paper going to do against this disease. I don't know. I'm not really sure how it was supposed to help, but boy, oh boy, there was a shortage of toilet paper. Why? I guess because we were afraid we're going to be stuck at home for a long time, and so we need to stockpile. So here's what happened, right? You would go to the store. If you needed toilet paper or not, if you saw it, what did you do? You bought it, right? And so it got to the point where I remember we were in a small group at the time, and there were people in our group who were like, hey, I, I, I genuinely were out. It was them and their, te- their two teenage kids, and they're like, we have one roll of toilet paper left in the house. I'm not really sure what the next couple weeks are going to look like. I was like, it's going to get messy. And I remember somebody saying, hey, I have more than I need, and I'm going to give you some. Right? And ultimately, as silly as that is, that stewardship is that God allowed them to hit Costco at the right time. Because listen, I went to Sam's three days in a row, so I'll know toilet paper, Okay. And so 
right, the, the idea of, of being a faithful steward is the opposite of hoarding what we can get for ourselves. And so if we're gonna be faithful stewards, here, here's kind of an identity statement for us to wrap our heads around, is that to be faithful stewards is we are people who use all we've been given for God's glory in the world's good. All that God has given us, we're gonna leverage that for his glory and the good of those around us. Even if it just means we're sharing some toilet paper if we've got extra, right? And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a passage in 1 Peter 4 that Chandler just read for us. And we're gonna pick up in, with a group of people who are in crisis, okay? And granted, we just talked about I think the most staggering crisis of my lifetime, all right? But these people were in a crisis, I think, that goes far beyond what we experienced in COVID. So Peter is writing to the church in Asia Minor, probably around the time that Nero has come to power in Rome, right? And if you, if you know anything about this period in Christian history, Nero made it his mission to eradicate Christianity from the earth, so it's either right before he's coming into power and there's already persecution, or they are living under the rule and reign of, a, of, a, of an emperor, of a ruler, who wants to wipe them off of the earth, right? This is a group of people who are under significant pressure, right? They're, they're experiencing persecution in ways that those of us who live in America will probably never experience. And so Peter is writing to a group of people trying to encourage them and exhort them to stand firm in their faith in the middle of pressure. And so I think it's interesting when, when we think about stewardship, I think a lot of times in, in 21st century America, we think, yeah, like our lives are pretty easy. So yeah, probably out of the overflow of what God's given me, I probably should steward well. Like, Peter is writing to a group of people for which life is not going well and that they probably do not have an abundance of anything. And he's saying, hey, you are going to glorify and honor God by how, by how you steward any and all things that God has put into your hands. And so what we get from Peter in the midst of this chaos is a very calm and logical exhortation for what they need to do. So picking up in verse seven, it says this, the end of all things is at hand or the end of all is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. All right, so Peter is saying the end of all things, meaning Jesus is going to come back, right? And the world as we know it is going to pass away, right? That all of us one day are going to stand before God and give an account for the lives that we live. At some point, Jesus is coming back. And here's the thing, Peter, Peter probably thought that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime, all right? But here's the thing, even though Jesus did not come back in Peter's lifetime, the principle that's important for us to recognize is that where we are in God's grand story of redemption is we are in the act of the play where Jesus is going to come back. That after Jesus lived, died, and raised again, it ushered in a new era. It was a beginning of the end. And so we are in this place where, though we don't know when, we know that there's now nothing that's preventing Jesus from coming back. And so all of us live with eternity in mind, knowing that, hey, tomorrow could be the day 
that Jesus decides to come back. And I think if we're honest, if, at, least, at least for me, I think it's difficult to live in the reality that Jesus could come back tomorrow because it's easy to convince ourselves, I mean, it's been, it's been 2,000 years. So if Jesus, Jesus hasn't come back yet, why would I expect that he would come back in my lifetime? All right, but it's important that we grasp this as a reality because for Peter, this is the statement that makes everything else he's going to say carry the weight that it does, right? And so what Peter's gonna do is he's gonna say, hey, I'm not giving you a new list of things to do, but, but here's what I'm telling you. In light of the fact that Jesus is going to return and that one day we are going to stand before him, it, it, it puts a level of urgency and intentionality to how we live, right? That, that this reality of Jesus's return, it's supposed to be sobering to us, but also clarifying for us, right? And so it makes us ask the question, are we living for things that are ultimately gonna pass away? Are, are we living for things, if the end of all is near, are we living for things that don't have eternal significance? And so what he's gonna tell us to do is he's gonna say, hey, there's this, there's this pattern of life that, that you need to be living in, and I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just saying, hey, guys, we're here, we're up against it. It matters how we live, right? Live with urgency, live with intentionality. And so it's, it's clarifying that Jesus is going to return, but, but let's acknowledge, if you're a group of people experiencing great persecution and you hear that Jesus is going to come back, my guess is that it would lead to panic. Right, just think about, I, I can sort of remember how the world reacted to Y2K, okay? Right, here's what happened, right? People thought, like, the world's gonna end, this whole thing's gonna go down. Panic, right? People panicked. And so what, and the reason that I think it's clear that he's, he's telling them don't panic is he's saying, hey, in the midst of this, be sober-minded and self-controlled. He's saying, hey, be clear-headed, be emotionally sober. Think about one of the, the lines to one of those songs we just sang that says, I won't be formed by feelings. He's saying, hey, in the midst of things that are causing you fear and anxiety and even panic, I'm telling you, be level-headed, be clear-headed because panic has the ability to cause us to do irrational and illogical things, doesn't it? Right, Lauren always likes to make fun of me that there'll be times when under like pressure in a moment to make a decision, she, I do what she calls like a panic move and I'll just choose like the worst possible option. And so the other day we sat down to play a game and we like describe what the game is and she goes, you're gonna be so bad at this game. I was like, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, why am I gonna be bad at this game? She's like, well, that's because like, Something gets flipped over and you have to like build it and there's a timer and she's like, you're just gonna panic and you're gonna be terrible. And here's the thing, my family knows that I don't lose it much. And so if I'm gonna be bad at something, they relish in the opportunity to beat me and hold it over me. And here's the thing, y'all, it took me a minute. Eventually I figured it out. Did finish, there's heads nodding over here to know. I did, I did. I eventually figured it out. Eventually emerged victorious. It was all good, okay? Right, but when, when we panic, something happens and we just... 
And so I was thinking about this. Someone was telling me this story from a National Geographic video that they watched. And listen, I love, I told you the other, the other day, I like sharks, right? I like all things National Geographic, Discovery Channel. And so someone was telling me about this. There's this little island off of Vancouver, I think. And a certain time of year, the seals will congregate there because it's like salmon nesting season, right? And so they know there's all these like bigger salmon and then there's all these baby salmon being born. And so the, the, the seals will just congregate on this rock in the middle of a bay and they'll just like fat flop off the rock, swim down, eat a bunch of salmon, come back up, you know, lounge on the rock and they just get to feast and feast and feast. And so for a seal, it's like the best time to be alive, right? They know the time of year, they know where to go. It's great, except... But you know who also knows what time of year the seals go there? The killer whales. And so they were telling me, like, you know, most of the time when predators hunt a prey, they do it stealthily, right? That's why I appreciate a good great white shark, right? You never see it coming, okay? That's not how these killer whales operate. The killer whales come into the bay, and groups of them start, like, splashing, like, slapping the water to let the seals know that they're there. And what the seals do is they panic, Right? There's one place where the, where the whales could not get them. It's on the rock. What do they do? They freak out. They jump off the rock, and then it doesn't go well for them. Right? Panic has the ability to cause us to do irrational and illogical things. And I think that if we're honest, when you and I are in moments that are difficult, what happens is we panic and we jump off of our rock. And we end up in a situation where we are now untethered and in dangerous waters, why? Because we, we jumped off of the one who was able to give us security and safety. And so Peter knows that you have to be self-controlled, clear-headed, and emotionally sober. Here's what he understands. This is what we have to know. Faithful stewardship begins in the mind. Okay, there's a mental component of faithful stewardship because if we aren't thinking clearly, we are not going to live rightly right? Something happens when we panic and we think only about ourselves. And so we're not going to use what God has given us in a way that honors him if we're only concerned with ourselves, right? And so one of those illogical and irrational ways that panic plays itself out is self-focus, right? It's why we hoard toilet paper, right? Under no other circumstances would that be like normal good behavior, like, I remember one time, this is a true story. Evan and Megan are at our house, and we had just gone to Sam's and bought the Sam's thing of toilet paper. And so we had, like, a whole stack of it on a shelf. And he comes in, and he starts making fun of us. He's like, man, why do y'all have so much toilet paper? I'm like, well, it's called Sam's Club. And you buy it in a pack that's way too big so that you don't have to go that often. And here's the thing. One pack of Sam's toilet paper is kind of normal in a lot. But when you got four, five, six packs of Sam's toilet paper, let me tell you, that's irrational. That's ridiculous. Right? And so if, if we are panicking and we are not mentally clear, then we, what we are going to do is we are going to turn inwards. We are going to look to ourselves and think only about ourselves. And he's saying, hey, instead of turning inward and only thinking about yourselves, he says, hey, I want you to look upwards. Right, the, the reason we do this is for the sake of our prayers. 
right? We, we aren't going to pray rightly if we are panicking. If you're like, if you're like a lot of us, we're not going to pray at all when we panic, right? We look to ourselves, we think we're the solution. And so I'm curious, what does your response to crisis say about what you believe in God? When, when difficult things happen, when hard moments come, are you calm and clear-headed because you know you're safe and secure on the rock? Or do you panic because you're not sure that God is aware of your situation? Do you, do you turn inward and look to yourself as a solution because you think you're better suited to handle the situation than God is? Or are you able to keep praying and practicing the pattern you, you've established in your faith knowing that difficult moments are going to come? Guys, how we respond to crisis says something about our relationship with God. So he says, hey, hey, life is gonna get difficult. Life is difficult. Your temptation is to turn inward. Don't turn inward, turn upward in prayer. And then the rest of this passage, he's saying, hey, look outward at others, right? Everything about what he tells us to do is opposite to how we react when things get hard. So look at what he says in verse eight. He says, above all, most importantly, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. All right, most importantly, Love each other. Don't make it all about you. Love others. And what I think is interesting, that word earnestly that describes how we're supposed to love, this, this is an athletic term that talks about how an athlete strains toward a goal. So what he's saying is, hey, you need to work hard and persevere in how you love. That how we love each other is hard work, but it's work worth doing because of what it produces. Right, that it covers a multitude of sins. And I want to make sure we understand, that's not saying we sweep sin under the rug. Right? The best illustration I read this week talked about how what love does to sin in Christian community is just like fire needs oxygen. Right? And you take a blanket and you put it over a small fire, what happens? The oxygen goes away and the fire gets put out. This, that's what love does, that love has the ability to cover sin and actually extinguish it in our lives. See, what happens is that when, when, when I sin against you and you sin against me, as we keep sinning against one another, that's actually giving oxygen to this fire and it's making it bigger and more destructive. Whereas if we love one another and are willing to forgive one another, it actually extinguishes the flame. So that's why love is so important. We won't be at an operating community if we're not willing to forgive and, and make allowances for each other's faults, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. So love covers over a multitude of sins. Where love abounds, sin can be killed and offenses can be overlooked and forgiven. All right, so we do the hard work of loving one another. And then he says, you need to share with one another. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love, I, love that, I love that Peter knows. He's like, hey, being hospitable, it's difficult. It's costly. And sometimes you're going to want to complain about it. He's like, I know. Listen, I hear you. But it's still something that we need to do. 
Okay, and I, so I think a, a good way to think about hospitality is hospitality is sharing God's goodness to you through your home. Right, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, God has blessed me and he has given me more than I need or he's given me as much as I need. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow you to experience the blessing God has given me by entering into my home. Like that's what hospitality is. And I, I was reading this morning in 1 Kings 17 where it talks about the widow of Zarephath, right? This woman who literally has only enough for her and her son to eat one meal. And when Elijah comes, he says, hey, God basically is telling me to tell you to share this with me and then I'm gonna provide for you what you need. And I think it's a beautiful example of hospitality because she is sharing what she has, right? She does not have a stockpile that she can rest on. She goes, hey, well, I'm gonna make this last meal expecting that after we eat this, we're gonna have nothing else. And I, I get it, right? That's, that's an extreme version of hospitality, but it's sharing what God has given us to benefit other people. And so hospitality is a very specific kind of stewardship where we steward our home, and we steward our resources in a way where other people can experience God's blessing through us, right? And so even, even down to the home that you have, God has given you for the sake of being able to be a blessing to others. And I know, I know that for, for some of you, especially introverts in the room, this is difficult because there's something about home when you're an introvert that feels like your safe place, that you have to go out and interact with people all day and your home becomes a fortress that allows you to rest and recharge and it's really hard to invite people in. And God is saying, hey, because not all that I've given you is for you, I need you to open up your hands and open up your home and be hospitable to people. Right, it's difficult and it's costly. But he's saying, hey, we need to be open-handed with this. And then he, he moves on to talking about spiritual gifts. Look at verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, as faithful stewards of God's varied grace. All right, here's what he's saying. Everybody's received a spiritual gift, and that comes from one giver, right? God is the giver, and our variety of gifts is an expression of God's grace. So whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so, so here's the principle we have to make sure we see. All Christians have been given at least one spiritual gift from God to steward, right? Everyone in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a spiritual gift, at least one from God to steward, right? And I know that it's possible that, that you've received, you've heard a lot about spiritual gifts, but I don't want to assume that for everybody. So let me, let's talk a little bit about what spiritual gifts are, right? Spiritual gifts are different than natural gifts and talents that God gives everybody, right? James 1.17 says that God is the giver of all good things, right? So whether someone's a Christian or not, God gives people gifts 
and talents, right? We would call them like natural gifts, natural talents that you've had since birth. But spiritual gifts are different. They are given by God's grace through the Holy Spirit, and they are given to you when you become a believer, right? And then more can develop over time. And they're given for the purpose of building up the church, meaning there's a spiritual emphasis to spiritual gifts. And they come with supernatural enablement. So they go beyond the power and ability that we as human beings have. And here's what's so cool. Though they are distinct from our natural gifts, God usually works them in a way that they are in unison with the natural gifts that he's given us. Right? Because God is a perfect creator who fits us together, usually there's a degree to which they're a little bit difficult to separate because God created you, knit you together with a specific purpose in mind. And so he gave you a bunch of natural gifts and then he comes alongside and gives you spiritual gifts that complement one another. And so two places in the scriptures give us some longer lists of what these gifts are. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that next week. But Peter is like, hey, there's all these lists. Like, I'm gonna summarize them into two groups, speaking and serving. And the reason he does this, I think, is because, again, he's trying to just give, he's trying to give direction. He's not trying to give instruction. So he's not teaching about what the gifts are. He's just saying, you have spiritual gifts and you need to use them, right? The church needs you to use your gifts, And so one of the things that I have noticed is that we can become preoccupied with knowing, being more concerned about knowing what our gifts are than actually using and stewarding the gifts that God's given us. But here's the good thing from that. Because of that, people have created some helpful spiritual gift assessments, some tests that help you determine what your gifts are. So it's a double-edged sword, right? It's good because we can learn some things, but also we can overemphasize. So if you're like, hey, I don't really know what my spiritual gifts are, right? There's multiple resources out there. Here's one that, that I have found that is helpful. Um, it's free. So if you, if you want to take a snapshot of, of, of that website, it's free for you to use and discern what your gifts are. And, and here's, here's the thing. Spiritual gifts assessments are relatively helpful. And here's what I mean by that. They may be able to give you language to a strength that you have that you didn't know to how, how to articulate. Or maybe they give you language for something that you were like, oh, I didn't recognize that was a spiritual gift. I didn't recognize that everybody was as compassionate and merciful as I am. But here's the thing. What happens oftentimes is we let these assessments be the end of determining what our gifts are. When in reality, the best way for us to determine how God has gifted us spiritually is to start serving in the church and see where you bring strength to bear. It's where we work all this out. And so take these tests, take the assessments, but ultimately start to serve. If, you, if you're like, hey, I don't know what my gifts are, I would encourage you if you're not serving, start serving. Because what happens as we serve is you begin to just start meeting the needs in front of you and either you or other people will be able to go, man, have you, have you noticed how good you are at, at, at facilitating that kid's lesson? Man, you, did, you, did you know that you were gifted in that way? Right, for, for some of you, it's, 
hey, I don't, like, do you recognize the gifts of mercy that you have? Like, everybody, all the kids were over here playing, and you noticed the one kid across the room who was by themselves. Your heart was moved, and you were like, hey, I want to go spend time with that kid who's by themselves. Right, for some of you, right, it's just recognizing that your, your gifts, like some of you, you're like hyper-organized to the point where it annoys us a little bit, right? Okay? And what happens is as, as you serve, you begin to recognize, oh, God can use both natural and spiritual gifts to help make ministry better, to help it make, be more organized, to be more effective, to be more efficient. And so what happens is that sometimes we'll go, hey, here's what my gift is, so I can't serve here, I can't serve there. I have almost never seen a situation where someone's giftings did not allow them to serve somewhere. What happens is that as you learn your giftings, you begin to say, hey, here's how I can play a very particular part in helping this ministry move forward. And so if you're like, hey, okay, what are the needs? What, if I'm not serving and I wanna determine my gifts, what needs are there at Peach Valley? Glad you asked. That's such a good question. Thank you. So here's, here's two. One, Chandler already talked about it this morning, right? We are bursting at the seams with kids, right? So we need more volunteers for kids. All right, another thing we need is we need some help with our tech, with our audio visual team, all right? And so if you're like, hey, I'm not serving, I wanna be serving, or I'm serving, but I wanna serve in a different way, come find me after the service. Because here's what I love. I love getting to help people experience God working through them in a way that brings you more joy than you could have ever imagined. Right, ultimately, like, like we, as a church, yes, we need you to serve, but, but actually, you need you to serve. Because there's something that you're missing out on in experiencing what God wants to do in you and through you by serving. All right, so, so that's what our spiritual gifts are. But I think what the end of this passage does is it gives us some guidance for how to use them or how to steward them in a godly way. So there are two that I see here. The first is that faithful stewardship benefits God's people. Right, so if you look back in in verse 10, it says, use these gifts to serve one another. Right, that one another there is referring to the body right? So the church. So we're supposed to be using our gifts to serve one another and build up other believers. God has given you and I gifts to positively impact the spiritual lives of the people sitting around you, right? So the people sitting around you and the community surrounding us, God has specifically given you gifts and brought you into this room because there's spiritual work that he wants to do in you and through you. And so what God does is he gives specific gifts to minister to specific needs, needs that he knows and that he sees. And so I'm curious, do you believe that God wants to use you to positively impact somebody's spiritual life. I think what we do is we, we think that if, we're, if we can't sing, if we can't play an instrument, right, that somehow that, that God doesn't wanna use us to impact people spiritually, and the reality is, is that that's not true. God wants to use you to impact the people sitting around you and the community that surrounds us, right? And so, 
He's given us these gifts to build up the church, to benefit God's people. But then faithful stewardship also keeps God as the focus and results in God's glory. And here's why we have to say this, is that often what happens is that we begin to use the gifts God has given us with us as the focus and with us trying to get glory. And so he says, hey, to those who speak, you're supposed to speak using God's ideas and not your own. And I think that it's easy to go, well, I, um, I'm not a preacher, so God hasn't given me gifts of speaking. It's not true. Right? I think about people who lead small groups, lead Sunday school, serve in kids' ministry. Right? I've heard, I've not gotten to experience one of Miss Sheila's Sunday school lessons, but I've heard she's one of the best. Right, that, that, that it's not just being up on, in front of people on a stage. This also includes people who have discernment to ask good questions. Right, like I think about, I've watched my wife for years lead groups of, of students and see the fruit that comes from her asking questions and following up with discernment that God has, has given her words of wisdom to them. Right, that is a, that's a speaking gift. Right? It's, it's the person who knows how to take a complicated idea and communicate it in a way that other people can understand. And if you've been a part of groups where you've seen somebody who does this, you're like, man, this is such a gift. And what can happen if we're wired to use words for God's glory is we can begin to try to steal God's glory and we can make it about impressing people with what we have to say. And so if, if you're wired up with these gifts, are you speaking things that are consistent with God's word or are you just giving good advice that you hope people think about you when they apply it? Right, one of the things that, that I've been praying for years before I get up and preach is God, would you, would you give me a desire not to impress people, but for, to be a mouthpiece for you to impress your word on people? Right? Do we want people to ultimately remember us or remember the, God's word spoken to them? Right? The same thing is true for those of us who have serving gifts, that it's not from our own strength or talent, but God's gifting. And I think what happens here is that this is a, a lot of times a, a matter of our, our mindset or our attitude. Right? Because if God has given you gifts, then it's easy to just rush in and use them without actually pausing and asking God to be present and active through you. And so for those of you who are gifted in mercy, do you ask for the wisdom in different situations to know how to lovingly respond? Meaning there are times when you just need to come alongside somebody and love them. And there's other times where you need to come alongside somebody, love them, but actually call them to something better. Right? Do you ask for his discernment and wisdom to know which one to do? What about for those of you who are gifted in areas like leadership or administration or helping? Do you recognize your need for God's help? Are you dependent on him as you do that? Because what happens is we can do that the first couple times and then we go, I'm good. I've done it a couple times. I know how to help people in these situations. I know how to handle these kinds of situations. We go on autopilot and we don't actually involve the God who gave us these gifts 
to deploy them. And what happens is that we make them all about us, except instead of, hey, he's the giver of the gifts and he should get the glory for these gifts. And so what, what I've just seen is that if we use God's gifts for God's glory and the good of his people, we experience a joy that could only come from God, which is just like God, isn't it? That the way that we actually receive and experience the joy and fulfillment that we desperately desire is actually just living according to the, the plans and commands he's given us in his word. And so if you want to experience supernatural joy, joy that could only come from God, that a lot of times the way that we experience that is for supernatural power to come through us to somebody else. All right, we think that it's about God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness coming to us and resting on us. It's not. It's it flowing through us to positively impact other people. And so I'm curious, what is preventing you from faithfully stewarding your spiritual gifts? Is it a lack of urgency? Is it a lack of intentionality? Is it a sense of panic that prevents you from being level-headed? Are you too focused on yourself to serve others? Do, do you recognize how maybe you're bent towards making your gifts about you? And then I wonder this morning, do you question if you have a spiritual gift? Because maybe you're not certain if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. So here's what I recognize. There's, there's, there's a lot of things that make stewarding our gifts difficult. But if we will focus on, hey, God is the giver of all that I have. He's the one who should get glory for how I use this. It simplifies, it, it clarifies. And church, I just want us to, to ask the question, what could our church and what could our community look like if we were people who chose to steward the gifts God's given us this way? Open-handed, believing that he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Because he does, he wants to pour out and he wants to use us to do it. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to get a chance to worship together a little bit more. God, we are grateful that you are good. We are grateful that in your goodness and kindness, that you choose to give us good gifts. And so God, we acknowledge that, that all that we have and all that we are is a result of your grace and kindness to us. God, we want to faithfully steward the gifts that you've given us. But God, I know how easy it is to be distracted by things of lesser value that seem urgent but aren't as important. God, I know how easy it is to, to take our focus and put it on ourselves instead of you and the people that you've put around us. And so God, I pray that this morning your word would be clarifying and centering for us. 
God, would you help us to have just a, a missional view of what you want to do through us? that we are people who are on mission for you, saying, God, you've given me what I have for your glory, the world's good, and for my joy. God, I pray that we would be people who get to experience more and more of your goodness and experience more and more joy. Because as we live with our eyes lifted on you and looking out to others, that you bless us as you bless others through us. God, help us to be faithful stewards of your grace. We love you. In your name I pray, amen.